Well, this morning we are going to begin uh, our continuous series that Mark started last week entitled, Be Disciples, Make Disciples. And, and we're just going to continue to worship the Lord as we have been this morning, but through His Word now. And uh, the series really is all about living the way God has called us to live. How do we live in a way that reflects who God is and then invests in others so that they want to know more about Christ and want to follow Him and want to love Him the way we love Him? And so uh, we, we, we've come to this place where we have to get to a place of surrender. And, uh, and so to the, today, my, what Mark asked me to preach on was grace and holiness, and he gave me this passage in 1 Peter 1, and I came away realizing that the key to grace and holiness and growing in, in holiness is hope, and realizing that hope and our level of hope and what our hope is centered on really depends our level and desire to grow in, in holiness. And so... Um, Mark and I have often talked about how the text you preach inevitably convicts you to the core. And uh, preaching the Bible is often very difficult because you have to wrestle in your preparation. You wrestle with your own sin and you wrestle with the passage on your own. And you see, man, I, I just really struggle with uh, teaching something that I struggle with. And so I just confess that to you this morning. I've definitely found that to be the case this week. And I pray that the Lord uses this in your life this morning as well. Our passage today is 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, st- and starting in verses 13 to 16. And uh, let's turn there and dive into all that the Lord has for us today. Uh, 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 13, says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. As we start out this morning, I want to give you our main overarching point. And I know that's a spoiler. Usually in films and stories, you don't usually want to reveal the big thought. But I'm going to do that today because I think uh, knowing that helps us and gives us some context. Our main point is this. What you and I hope in is what you and I will live for. What you and I hope in is what you and I will live for. The thing you value most in your life, the thing your life most revolves around, that is what you are hoping in. Now that's pretty dangerous, isn't it? You think about what does my life revolve around? What is my day-to-day emphasize and put what do I spend my energy my time my money on what does all of that add up to that's what I hope in so scripture tells us that this focal point that this sun that the planets of our lives revolve around that that is what we hope in that scripture tells us it should be in Christ Uh, not just in this vague sense of I want my life to look like Jesus but in the reality that we serve a savior who is not going to to leave the world as it is the world is broken we know that but he is coming again what this passage tells us and we will see him face to face no veil no walls no separation we will behold him in his full glory nothing separates us and that moment Peter tells us here that moment is what should be what we're hoping in what we're looking forward to what 
energizes our lives and drives us. So let's dig into our passage and let's kind of break this apart today and see all the implications that it has for us. Verse 13 says this, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a lot of content just in that one, one verse, but the very first, ver- very first word we read there is the word, therefore. And you can't gloss over that word. You have to understand that that's pointing to something else that comes before it. There's a deeper context we have to understand in order for us to fully grasp what Peter, the author of this letter, is trying to communicate in our passage. So Peter's pointing back to the beginning of this letter. So let's, let's turn back to the beginning of this chapter, to verses 3 through 9, and we're just going to summarize this. We're not going to drill down as deep as we, we could. We don't have time for that. But let's briefly look at this section together. Verses 3 and 4 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now that's, that's huge language. That's big lofty words Uh, pointing to this big lofty thing. What a picture of salvation, that the object of our hope is living. Jesus Christ is alive. No other person has ever defeated and conquered death the way Jesus did. There's been stories of, and throughout the Bible and history of people coming back to life, but they all died again. Jesus is the only one who died, came back to life and never died again and has always been. And so he is our hope. He, he is the one that we look to. Even more, our salvation isn't something that can be undone. It isn't perishable. You know, you, you go to the store, you buy bread, you better use it in a couple of days because it's going to perish. The milk, is there's nothing like the feeling of opening the milk to pour it into your tea when you realize the last second, hopefully you realize the last second, Oh, the milk has gone off and it's perishable. Our salvation is not like that. It is not perishable. There's no expiration date on it. It doesn't even grow weaker based on our circumstances or our actions just because we had a bad day. It is the surest thing ever because of the one who ensures it. Look at verse 5 with me. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm going to read that one more time. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We enter into a relationship with God when we put faith in Jesus. We trust that He died for our, our rebellion against God and that He rose back to life. Part of that work is that we no longer have anything to fear. You and I have nothing to fear if we're trusting in Christ. We have nothing to be ashamed of. No longer is there any shame. We have nothing to feel guilt about because of what Christ has done. Yes, can we look back on decisions in which we had done things differently? Yes, but Christ has purchased everything that wants to try to pull fear and guilt and shame into our life. That's no more. Instead, we're being guarded. What this passage, this verse says, we're being guarded by God through His Spirit. If we've put faith in Jesus and committed our lives to Him, we cannot lose that relationship with God. God Himself is guarding it 
and nothing is greater than the power of God. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Let's keep going. Look at verses 6 and 7. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, let's not make the mistake in, in believing that just because we've found freedom in Christ, that the trials of this life are over. We, we know that, don't we? God, he, he doesn't promise that just because you become a follower of Jesus, that everything instantly becomes easy in life, that there's no more difficulty, there's no more pain, there's no more trials. Trials in life are inevitable. Suffering, as much as we want to avoid it, suffering is inevitable. All of us will taste of that at some point in our life. Our families will taste of that at some point in our life. In the end, we endure those trials because we look forward to the day that's to come. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate example of delayed gratification. I mean, our society wants us to be all about instant gratification, right? I want something, all I have to do is pull out my phone, go to Amazon, my app, and I can get it if I want, I can get it the next day. If I really want it, I can pay a little extra and get it in two hours. Instant gratification. That's not what this is talking about. Instead, the hope we have in Christ is not about the right now. We look forward to what's to come. And that's so much more powerful because that looking forward becomes this fixed point in the vision of our life. It's what drives us and motivates us and helps us endure that fixed point. It's that fact that we will see Jesus again that actually enables us to endure the trials and the suffering. Even though we don't know the time or the day, we will see it coming. Uh, finally, let's look at verse 8 together. 8 and 9. Though we have not, you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Following Jesus is the sweetest experience there is in this life, simply because there is nothing better than following and knowing Jesus. There's no one else like him. There never has been, there never will be anyone like him. And the more we grow to understand him and who he is, the more we understand that truth, that there is no one like Jesus. This verse is describing Jesus that we long to see. And this is the one our hearts long, is, long for as we worship him, as we sing these songs. It's what it wells up within us, this desire to see Christ, as we, especially as we grow deeper in relationship with him. Now, all of that amazing truth that we just kind of ran through is exactly what Peter is saying uh, is, is what he's summarizing there in 13 when he says the word therefore because of all of that therefore with your minds ready for action be sober minded and set your hope completely on the grace that's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ what you and I hope in is what you and I will live for the origin of our hope influences whether or not we will follow through in not only growing as a disciple, but also in investing in others and making other disciples. It will affect how deeply 
we desire to follow Christ in obedience. It'll affect how passionate we are for Christ. There's just so much here that helps us as we wrap our, our hearts and our minds around this truth. Peter writes, with your minds ready for action, be sober. In verse 13, he says that. In the Greek, the, the language that Peter first wrote in, we, this is a translation in English, but in the Greek, the language that, this, that he uses is this word picture, this analogy for that phrase, ready for action. And it's the picture of a man in Peter's day wearing his common clothes, a long robe. It's the picture of him wrapping up that robe and tucking it into a belt. What you would do when you're getting ready for a long run or a fight or something really strenuous, some kind of strenuous activity. What he's saying here is in your minds, in your thoughts, in your mindset, in your attitudes, in the way that you view the world around you, there must be an intentionality in following Jesus. It's not a passive thing that just kind of naturally happens. There has to be this, this intentional mental exercise that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control my thoughts in a way. I'm going to be disciplined with my mind to focus on being like Christ in your mind to be sober-minded, as that next phrase tells us, meaning not having any illusions about what reality is and following Jesus, uh, not having any illusions about the situation I find myself in. We take on this mindset that as we continually look to the hope that is set before us, the moment that either Jesus returns and we see him or when we die and stand before him, Either way, there is going to be a moment where He is revealed to us face to face. We behold Him in all of His glory. The point of this verse is that this kind of thinking and this perspective, it doesn't just happen. It's cultivated over time. It's this lifelong endeavor that we set out on to become more and more mature the way we think. There's, there's a discipline associated with it. Author and theologian John Piper says this about how we apply this verse. He says, we use our minds to stoke the fire of this full hope. I love that. We use our minds to stoke the fire of this full hope. What does that look like, though? Because that's great. <laughs> that's great truth, and that's great in thought and in theory. But what does that look like? How do you use your mind to stoke the fire of the hope you have of seeing Christ? How do you develop that discipline in your life? Well, just like you develop anything else in your life, you take it day by day. You work here every day, steady, steadfast, uh, kind of like what Jason was talking about a minute ago from the Keller book of every night we're going to pray together. It's day by day by day. Uh, working on this reality of what Peter writes about in verses 3 to 9, you remind your heart of the hope that is shared ahead of us. In, in his book, On the Blood, in the blood of Jesus, Charles Spurgeon writes this, and this is going to be up behind me. He says, Remember Jesus till you feel that He is with you, till His joy gets into your soul and your joy is full. Remember Him till you begin to forget yourself, your temptations and your cares. Remember Him till you begin to think of the time when He will remember you and come in His glory for you. Remember Him till you begin to be like Him. Isn't that good? A significant way in which we remember Jesus and we stoke this fire within us is in being committed to being disciplined to spend time in God's Word and spending time in prayer. And this is a, a point that Mark and I make often. It's kind of like 
feel like every time I preach, this is a point that comes up, and uh, there's a reason for that. And when we encourage you to do this, uh, please know that neither one of us assume that that's just an easy thing to do. It's not in our own lives, so we know that it's not in your life either. Uh, we understand that this is a difficult thing, and, and especially as you consider the demands of your life, your schedule, family commitments. That's why we use the word discipline. It's a discipline you do. That's why Mark and Paul and I continually, weekly, are keeping each other accountable in this and asking, how are you doing with being in the Word? And how's it going this week? How, how are you doing with your shepherding your family this week? There's, there's this ongoing thing that we, we continually talk about because it takes discipline and the encouragement of brothers and sisters in our lives to be faithful in that and consistent in that. It's something that when we prioritize, though, we find room for in our, in our day, you know? Uh, whether it's getting up early, staying up late, or maybe just being creative and, uh, with our schedule to make margin for this in our life. It could even be something like downloading the CSB app. I do this often. And spending time in the Word during your commute to work. Uh, there's, I don't know if you know this, but there's an audio fe- feature on the CSB app that as you're driving around or you're riding the bus or the train or you're just walking about, it actually will read the Scripture to you. Uh, that's kind of a cool thing to be driving around Deniston and the East End and to hear the Word of God <laughs> coming over the radio instead of other things, uh, especially this weekend that have been, I've been able to hear <laughs> in the open air from the transmit uh, con- uh, concerts. But uh, it's something that when we prioritize, we find room for in our day. There's creative ways to make space for this in our, in our lives. It just takes the discipline to figure out where that space is and then to follow through to actually fill up that space with spending time in God's Word and in prayer. What helps us is that there's another phrase that Peter uses here in verse 13 about looking to Christ. He says, set your hope completely. Now, what he's referring to is is, uh, this act of waiting, a sense of, not like I said, not just being passive, but actively waiting, not wishful thinking, but expecting that this is a reality. Uh, Set your hope completely. There's this total unified wholeness where there's no lacking. As you look forward to seeing Christ in your heart and mind, in your mindset, in your worldview, there's a totality that your every expectation is that you will see Christ again. That takes reminding our hearts. I can so easily forget that. I can read God's Word in the morning, close the book, and be on about my to-do list, forgetting the truth what I wrote. We have to continually cultivate that. No, I I go about this to-do list. I I, I serve people. I I serve my family. I love others because of the hope, not because it's on a to-do list, but because of the hope that's ahead of me, because I will see Christ, because He will reveal Himself. I I continually remind myself of that. Christ promised this to us, that He would come again. He would come again. If we have the hope of the promise of seeing Christ as the absolute center of our focus, we will determine in our hearts to build up that hope in our hearts by spending time in the Word and in prayer. Let's move on. Verse 14. Uh, We have a a long way to go in a very short time. So uh, verse 14 says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Here is one of the greatest stumbling blocks for every single follower of Jesus. Going back to the way things used to be. Do not go back to the way things used to be. 
Christ purchased you and set you free from those things. Man, you are not a slave. I am not a slave anymore to the things I used to be in bondage to. Let's not go back to those things. If you find that this is where you are, know that you don't have to stay there. Live in the freedom that Christ has given you. Dive into His Word. Share your struggle with brothers and sisters in your church family. See, before Christ, we didn't know. We, this, it uses the word ignorant. We didn't know that there was freedom. But when we came to faith, that freedom came. Guilt was gone. Shame was gone. There, there, no stumbling block the way we were enslaved before. Peter writes here that we should be like children. And the gist is, is of that is not that we should be de- sons and We are sons and daughters, but even deeper than that, we should be dependent upon the Lord. So I, I, I was reading this. I was thinking about baby James. And, you know, you, you watch James and Mark and Pauline. There's not a whole lot that James can do for himself, right? I remember when Maggie and Eli were at this stage, too, that you watch James. He just kind of sits there, and you, if you stand over him, he makes some faces, and it's hilarious and awesome. And uh, he's such a good-looking little guy. That, But there's not a whole lot that James can do. Instead... You find Mark and Pauline are the ones that have to, or other family members, have to actually do the feeding and providing and the changing and everything that's necessary for life. Because James is 100% totally dependent upon his parents for help. That's exactly what Peter is talking about here. Not going back to the way things used to be only happens when we find ourselves being totally dependent on God for help in that. When we just submit and surrender to the thought that, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't walk the way you want me to walk. I can't think the way you want me to think without your power. So instead of me just trying to muster enough work and work up enough energy and try hard enough, I'm just going to let go and let you help me and surrender to you. That's what God's asking for. He's not asking us to, to do things, to work harder. Um, there, there should be, this, should, this should bring freedom to our hearts and our minds today because it's not suggesting that you work harder to be like Jesus. It's not a, a, suggesting that you spend time so you've got to add another thing to your schedule. It's not about, this isn't meant to burden your life. Christian, that's not at all what you are called to as a follower of Jesus. Instead, Jesus' message to you today is what he said in Matthew 11, 28-30. He says, Come to me, all who are weary, who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke. Learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not more work. You'll find rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I once heard someone say, talking about this passage, that when oxen were paired together to carry a heavy load, it was usually a stronger ox placed with a weaker ox so that the weaker ox could learn and be trained and also have help. Christ isn't asking you to work harder for Him. He's simply inviting you to let Him lead you and guide you and for Him to take the burden for you. Uh, to come under His strength. The way that is better is to realize the truth of the Christian life, that it's about surrender. 
It's not about control. I have no control. Control is an illusion. (laughs) Instead, I freely surrendered my life. This verse is about realizing on a deeper and deeper level that there is nothing we can do apart from the work of God to be like Christ. So, I should not, I cannot view my spending time with God as more work than I do. Instead, the truth about who God is means that my spending time with God is because of how reliant I am upon Him. So whether we like it or not, we need the Spirit of God within us to, to keep that hope of seeing Christ revealed to us front and center in our, of our, in our line of sight. All right, let's look at the last few verses of our, of our passage this morning. Verse 15 and 16 says, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I'm holy. Man, I'm really glad we had verse 14 before we got to 15 and 16 because otherwise I'd really want to work hard. I'm a doer. So you see, you put a task in front of me, I'm going to go full steam at that task and to accomplish that task. And I'm really glad I had verse 14, be like a child, a dependent. Before I get to the part that says be holy because I, I'm, I'm going to try and work my hardest and I'm going to be the little legalist that my heart wants me to be. So 15 is good in the context of 14. You can't understand it without 14. That word holy means to be separate. That's an interesting word, to be separate. God is holy because He's totally separate. He's totally different. He's totally unique. A lot of times, theologians don't know how to to define that, so they use the word other. He's totally other than us. I I mean, infinitely other than us because He's infinitely righteous and just. He's absolutely loving, and He's so, so much more. All of the qualities that make God who He is require us to use this word holy. What God is calling us to is to be separate for Him. That's because He wants to make us more and more like Himself. And here's what these two verses don't mean. First, the striving toward holiness is not about being good enough to stay in favor with God. It's not about trying to work hard to live a clean life that looks really good so that I can stay in God's good graces. Follower of Jesus, man, Christ purchased that for you. You can't do anything to change that. When God looks at you now, He sees the righteousness of Christ because of your faith in Him. It's not about performing. You can't earn favor with God. God doesn't love you or me any more or any less based on how many good works you do in your life. That's because His love for us is infinite. It cannot be diminished. It can't even be, it's so great it can't even be increased because it's infinite. That, wrap your mind around that for a second. He proved that by sending Jesus to live and then to die for us. For all the things I've ever done, for all the things you've ever, He he died for us. Christ purchased God's favor for you. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that you continually have to earn the love of God. Now, life is about delighting in God, about naturally wanting to be like what you value most. That's what the whole passage is about. In closing this morning, my question for all of us is, are you hoping in Christ? What you and I hope in is what we'll be like. Are you hoping in Christ? 
Have you ever put faith in Him? That's the first step along the way. Maybe you're here, you've never actually trusted in Jesus. You've never actually put faith in Him that He's the way to be right with God. He's the way to have a relationship with God. The Bible tells us that every single one of us are separated from God, that we're in a state of rebellion, that we continually choose our own way instead of God's way. But God didn't want us to stay separate from Him. He sent His Son, He sent Jesus to live a life that none of us could live, to die a death in our place, and He didn't leave Him dead. Jesus rose from the grave. If if you want to put faith in Jesus today, we would love to talk to you about that. We'd love to pray with you. Please please see me, see Jason, see one of us afterwards. We would love to, to talk to you about that. Christian, is Christ the center of your hope today? Having things in this world, have things in this world drifted to the forefront of your center, of, of your focus. The Puritan preacher John Bunyan wrote these words about this subject. He says, As your faith is, such your hope will be. Hope is never ill when faith is well, nor strong if faith be weak. Are you cultivating your faith by spending time in God's Word? This will cause you to have a hope that is well and strong. What you and I hope in is what you and I will live for. May it be that our church family, that we find ourselves continually hoping in the surety of the revelation of Christ that's to come. And may that cause us to live a way that reflects His holiness and His love. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we are so lost and undone without you. We confess that we are hopeless and helpless to be holy as you are holy. That it is only through Jesus can we find favor with you. So Lord, I pray that today we would either for the first time make that confession that I am I'm just absolutely lost in this life without you or reaffirm that fact today that you are the only hope that I have. Everything else deceives us when it promises hope. Everything else does. So Father, I pray that you would help us continually remember that. Help us to walk in a way that reflects who you are, not working harder, but giving in more, submitting more, surrendering more to you. Help us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.